How are you all? What a, what a weekend, Memorial Weekend, where we have the honor of uh, remembering all the people that uh, have given so much for us. At the end of this first service, uh, a family came to me, great-looking mom and dad, and showed me a picture of their son who died in the war four years ago, and his name is Trevor. And I started to cry because I thought of my son, and they said, oh, don't cry, Pastor. We're, well, he's with our Lord. And um, we believe that um, he would have done it again for this country of ours, and, which made me weep a little more. And um, it just uh, was a touching moment for me, the strength of this mom and dad. Um, boy, he's a good-looking kid. I got his picture up on my wall, and I will forever keep it there and um, get a frame for it eventually. But I think of all the people who have given of their of their lives and, and for us that we might have freedom. It is a um, it's an overwhelming thought to be honest with you. And for those of you here who served in this services on behalf of us, so that we might have our freedom, we might have the very essence of what God has given to every person that would come to Him, and that is freedom in Him. Um, we thank you. We thank you all, and um, we honor you. Thank you so much for serving. I don't think words are enough. <clears throat> I always feel empty when I, I try to do this. I always feel as if the, there's just not enough words in my heart. I remember um, my dad and my uncle served in the in the, in the uh, services. My uncle was a pretty tough guy. He was a professional fighter. And he just was a tough guy. When he went into the service, they had a, a group that they were asked if they wanted to volunteer, they were going to go and parachute them behind enemy arms, behind the German um, forces, and try to capture them on both sides. And my uncle said, man, he was, he was one of the first ones that stepped forward and said, I'd love to do that. So he learned to parachute and there was, I, I don't know how many, as I remember the story, I don't want to exaggerate, there was a hundred, I guess, guys. And um, the last time they were practicing their jumps, my, my uncle hit a rock when he landed and broke his, his leg pretty severely, and so he couldn't go. As my uncle told me the story, every single one of his friends went, were parachuted behind those lines, died, um, trying to protect us. And... Uh, my uncle looked me in the eyes and said, I wish I would have been with them. And it's hard to fathom that kind of a, of, of, of a love. And so for this Memorial Day, we thank God for you people that, um, like the family in the first service, their son, you talk about a good-looking young man, come to my office, I'll show you his picture. I'll keep it, Trevor. We've been studying through the book of Acts Oh my goodness, wait till you see this place in Scripture. I had no clue going into this this section of Scripture what all it was going to mean. We talked about having a clear conscience before God. Paul said his conscience was was clear before all God, Almighty God. And, and we realize now that that is because of the, the privilege we have of forgiveness. The forgiveness of our sins wipes our sins away. 
The Lord God says, I separate them as far as the east is from the west, and I remember them no more. And so we can have a clear conscience. And then we learn that we are to be our, our Lord's hands and feet and heart. Um, we are the providential hands and feet and, and heart of God today. As believers, we're to reach out to those within our congregation and those that we can to help them the best way we can. And, and so, so those are the, some of the things we've been learning. But now we come to a place in Scripture, and I thought we kind of like a, you know, like a, a washcloth, kind of drained it uh, as you do, you wring it dry. And I thought it was fairly dry. But my goodness, this week is perhaps one of the strongest... Um, evangelical message that is is possible it is every sinner's dilemma and paul as you're going to note in a moment talks with felix felix and his wife drusilla both of them were just evil people Uh, and and right they came from a long line of evil people as you're going to see in a moment i'm going to explain that uh, her father killed um um Oh, I forgot. But it's in here. I have it written down. Uh, And her her great uncle... Oh, Andrew. (laughs) And her great uncle um, killed and beheaded John the Baptist. And then her her great-grandfather was one of the strongest voices to try to destroy and kill Jesus Christ. So she comes and she inherits this, this attitude, I guess rightfully so, and Felix was also, regardless of what Tertullus, the attorney, how he buttered him up, he, he, Felix was, was really hated by the Jews because he was so mean. And, um, and he, is, in return, hated the Jews. And so this is the scenario that we see. Paul is on trial before Felix. And Paul, as we saw last week, I thought made the strongest statement he could make as far as the Sanhedrin was concerned, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Look back with me. It's really important to do it. Look back at verses 14 and 15. Paul says, this I'll admit. I'm going to admit this to you. I'm certain he was wondering, what is he doing here on trial? And he says, this I admit, that according to the way, in other words, according to Christianity, of which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers. Now, that was a wonderful statement because what Paul did was he put his arm around the whole Sanhedrin that were there. He was saying to them, I serve the same God that you serve. I serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. I serve the God of our fathers. And he says, I also believe, it says in verse 14, in everything that is in accordance to the law, that was the Old Testament, and that is what was written by the prophets. And so he says, I, I fall in line with what is written in here, like you do, you men of the Sanhedrin. And he says this in verse 15, I have a hope in God, which he says, now watch, these men talking to Felix, looking at the Sanhedrin, those guys that were there, he says, I have a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves. We, we both have this hope in God. And then he says that there certainly will be a resurrection. But he says, both 
of the righteous and the wicked. Now they believed that, the Sanhedrin did. They believed that from the Old Testament, as we saw last week in Daniel chapter 12, that both out of the ground, out of the dew of the ground, will arise those uh, who are righteous and those who are wicked. So Paul says, I believe the same thing that these guys believe. I believe in the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe the same thing that these men here cherish. But then Paul puts himself in another boat. The only difference which is major is this. Paul says, I though believe that God who promised the Messiah delivered the Messiah through Jesus Christ. He mentions it through his resurrection. Look, a resurrection, as it says, of both the wicked, or excuse me, the righteous, as well as the wicked. Now, what we're going to see in a moment, as you'll remember when we read it, in verse 25, this frightens the Dickens out of Felix. I mean, he gets scared to death just the thought of the resurrection of the righteous as well as the wicked. In other words, Paul is saying there is eternal life, but there is also a place called hell. Now, Paul's love for his enemies goes beyond anything that I think I've ever experienced in my life. I've never experienced it yet. Um, Don't know that I ever will. Don't pray for it that hard. But he said in Romans 9, 3, as I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago, he says, if I could... If I could, he says, I would wish that I were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren. That's an amazing statement of love. Paul had this this sense of love for people that goes beyond anything that I've ever been able to experience, although I do feel I love you folks. But I don't know that I could ever say that I wish that I were accursed, separated Christ for your sake. It's hard to utter those words it's 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 it's, you can say them but do you really mean it well what paul is going to demonstrate in this experience that we're going to see from verse 17 to verse 27 the end of the chapter is how desperately he loves people and here's how he loves them Um, he loves them because he will tell the truth he's going to tell felix that two and two are four. And he's not going to mince any words. He's going to talk to him upon what is every sinner's dilemma. He's going to talk to him about righteousness. He's going to talk to him about self-control. And he's going to talk to him about the judgment that is going to come to mankind. To which Felix says, gets frightened and says, get out of here, Paul. I don't want to hear any more. And oftentimes, that is the response of people who are confronted with the issue of salvation. You see, the issue of salvation is the issue of dealing with our own sin. And what do we do with it? How desperately do we want to keep our lifestyle rather than give up all that we are for the sake of Christ? And I think that frightened Felix beyond our wildest dreams. Let's read. It's a great little text, great little story. I want you to note here how Paul 
when he goes before Felix, instead of saying, let me just say this to you, I'm sorry. When he goes before Felix, he doesn't say, Felix, let me tell you, man, these guys, I'm here for no reason. He doesn't even go there. The only thing he talks to Felix about is faith in Jesus Christ. It even says it. Watch. Read with me verse 17. Now, Paul says, After several years I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings, in which they found me, they, the Jews, occupied in the temple, having been purified without any crowd nor uproar. But there were certain Jews from Asia who ought to have been present before you, and to make accusations if they should have anything against me. Or else let these men, talking about the Sanhedrin, themselves tell what misdeeds they found when I stood before the council, other than this one statement, which I shouted out while standing among them, for the resurrection of the dead I am on trial before you today. Verse 22, Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. Verse 23, And then Felix gave order to the centurion for Paul to be kept in custody and yet have some freedom not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. Verse 24 tells us, and this is the crux of what we're going to talk about today, some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewish. And they sent for Paul and heard him speak about, watch, faith in Christ Jesus. And as he, Paul, was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present. When I find time, I'll summon you. At the same time, too, Felix was hoping that money would be given to him by Paul. Therefore, he used to send for him quite often and converse with him. After two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portica, the guy Festus. <laughs> Sorry. And wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. Now, we talked a little bit about this. We made mention that Paul did not just get there, have this little trial, and then go home. No, he was there for at least two years, but he was there for two years plus. And I wonder, how would you and I take this experience? I'm here to say to you that Paul understood why he was in jail. I believe with all of my heart, Paul knew his call upon his life. Remember back in Acts chapter 9 before we pray. Remember back in Acts chapter 9 when Ananias was, was confronted by Jesus Christ. And he said, Ananias, I got a guy named Saul. He's on, a street, he's on a street called Straight and he's waiting for someone to give him back his sight. I've blinded him. I want you to go lay hands on him and give him back his sight. Ananias says, Lord, we have heard about this man. We've heard about how much harm Saul has done to believers. He's imprisoned some. He's put some to death. He has beaten some. This is not in the text, but Ananias says, you know, maybe we've been thinking it's better off we leave him blind. Cause us less trouble. And the Lord said to Ananias, go. He is a chosen instrument of mine. I'm going to show Paul how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And how he will reach the Gentiles and kings. And Paul 
is completing that ministry right now as we read. He is reaching a guy named Felix and his wife Drusilla. He's going to reach a guy named Festus. And he's going to reach Agrippa. Three men who were the major um, governmental officials in the Roman Empire. And Paul is reaching them. And I say to you, Paul knew exactly why he was alive. He knew exactly why he was kept alive. He knew exactly where he was. Where he was, was doing the will of God. And part of this message is hopefully to encourage you to reach out and to find out where is your course? What are you, what race are you running? What are you doing with your life for the cause of Christ? When it all boils down, when we are dead and gone, the one thing that our Lord will ask us is, what did we do, I believe, in serving Him? How have we served Him? And hopefully you and I will hear these wonderful words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And until you and I understand the gift that He has given to us and start using that gift with the course that He has laid before us, you'll never really find true peace. I was mentioning last night i didn't mean to mention this it's not in my notes but it's it's some people kent was just saying he was at the stadium last night dodger stadium and they had a the 1960s teams there and they honored them they asked me to do that they asked me to go back and 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 be a part of last night's uh um, pre-game uh hoopla and and then come back today and and be a part of the game and, and be on the field and and all that. It, it didn't take me a second to say to the gentleman that asked me, no, I, I can't go. I've, I'm called to be at my church. It's, it's, it's not even an issue with me. It's not even, it's not a thought. This is where I belong. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, I would love to have been to Dodger Stadium. I would have loved to have seen some of the guys like Gomer, I mean, Claude Osteen and guys that, that I hadn't seen for quite some time. I'd love to have seen them. But the fact of the matter is, I really love to be with you more. I would much rather be here than there. Because I believe this is what God has asked me to do. This is the course that the Lord God has given me. And the passion that I have and the, and the, and the, and the desire to do God's will is, is really a simple thing once you find that place. I want for you more than anything else. No, I want for you more than anything else is that you come to walk with Christ, to know Him and believe in Him. After that, I want for you more than anything else is that you know what race that you're running, what God has called you to do, so that you might, like Paul, finish your course. Now, let's pray, and let's see what God will do. You know, I pray every time I'm up here, at least I try to, not to forget, is the Lord move me aside. Those are not just some words. I'm not just trying to be humble. I really want that. The reason I want it is because I want God to speak to your heart as well as mine. I want to move aside so I hear what God's going to say, not only to you, but to me, as we read through His Word. And so it's important for me that you and I understand that this is not about me giving a message. This is about, hopefully, being so in tune to what the Bible is saying that we would allow God to speak to us rather than a speaker. And so that's my desire. It's my my deepest desire. So would you pray with me? Father, please, would you bless this time? Would you do us the greatest privilege that any person could ever, ever receive? And that is, would you open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our thoughts, dear Father, 
that we might behold wonderful things from your law, the Bibles we hold in our laps. Move me aside, Father, so that we might believe, honestly believe that we are hearing your heart and your voice. And that will come when we, when we make your word come alive within our hearts. And so let us see these things, Father. Thank you for the privilege you give us to do what we do. And that I take, I take Father, as a great, great privilege and honor. But, Father, I do not make anything more of it than what it is. I'm just trying to be one of your servants amongst many here at this church. That we try, Father God, with all of our hearts to hear your heartbeat so that we might become a people who love you and want to walk with you. Perhaps like Paul, we could become. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There are three men mentioned here that were... um, Major, they were major officials within the, the Roman Empire. Um, Festus, Felix, and Agrippa. If you look at verse 24, we see that Felix and his wife Drusilla heard Paul speak about faith in Jesus Christ. If we look ahead, which we haven't read because we'll get into it hopefully next week, in chapter 25, verse 22, Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear Paul myself. And Festus then said to Agrippa, you'll hear him tomorrow. Paul fulfilled the ministry that God gave him. He is running the course that Jesus Christ said he must run. Paul was faithful to share. And yet history tells us that these three men all rejected Jesus Christ, even though they heard from perhaps one of the greatest preachers apart from Jesus Christ that has ever walked the face of this earth. There is a great, a great gap between hearing and doing. It's, it says in James, don't just merely be hearers of the word. Rather, let's become doers of the word. That's what I think the Rock Community Church is really all about, in my opinion. That we would be a people who see our calling, understand what it is, what gift we have, and use it for the glory of God. Now, this is just my thinking of what has taken place because of what Paul says. If you'll look at verse 21, Paul is probably thinking, why am I here now? Um, I really haven't done anything wrong. Um, Lysias has already said that there's nothing that I've done worthy of imprisonment or death. Why am I here? And so he says, this might be it. And so he says to Felix, he says in verse 21, Felix having a more, oh, excuse me, other than this, no, let me go to 20, 20, verse 20. Let the men tell you what misdeed they found me doing when I stood before the council. Other than this, he says, this I might have done, verse 21. This one statement I shouted out while standing among them. He said, I yelled out, for the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial for you today. Look back at chapter 23. Let's kind of cross-reference this. Let's put some Bible study to this. Paul, perceiving that half of them were Pharisees and half of them were Sadducees, probably in his mind wanted to take the attention off himself and cause a riot. Maybe this was his, his intent, because watch what takes place. 
He says in verse 6 of chapter 23, Perceiving that one part were Sadducees, the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee. I am a son of a Pharisee. I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. As he said this, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now I tell you, Paul knew that that would have happened, I believe, I believe because he had been a part of the Sanhedrin. And it says in verse 9, There arose a great uproar. And they began, began, as it says there in that verse, to argue heatedly. Now, Paul knew that, that that might be why he was on trial. But he also knew that belief in the resurrection was not a crime. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection and they weren't on trial. So what Paul knew is that he didn't belong in the Roman court. He didn't belong on trial. But it is my belief that he knew one thing for certain, that he was on earth, meaning, okay, I am at this place, I am at this trial for a heavenly reason. It's far greater than myself. I've been called by God to fulfill my ministry, so I will serve my God wherever he has called me. I say to you, you and me, we're here for a reason. It's not by accident that you and I are in this church. It's not by accident that God has brought us here. There's a purpose. There is something that God wants to do in and through our lives as we grow in the knowledge and the grace of His most wonderful Word. When we get to understand this more, we'll perceive what it is that God is asking of us. Now, in verse 22, Felix, who it says knew the way pretty well, He says, I want to wait for Lysias to come. Now, Lysias had already sent Felix a letter. And he gave Felix all the information he needed concerning Paul. Look back at chapter 23. Again, a little Bible study time. Look at verse 29. Lysias says, I found him, meaning Paul, to be accused over questions about their law. But... But, Lysias told Felix, under no accusation does he deserve death or even imprisonment. And so Felix knew better. But nonetheless, in verse 23, Felix gives them orders to keep Paul in prison, but he gives them some freedom. He allows his friends to come and minister to him, which is the heart and the feet and the hands of God's providential care. They came and took care of Paul, just as you and I should care for those who are in need within our our group or even beyond. Now, here's where the rub comes, and here's where this is such a great place as far as Scripture is concerned. If you'll note back at verses 17, 18, and 19, Paul says, I came to bring alms to my nation. In other words, he had a great deal of money that he presented to the churches. Felix knew of this, obviously. Because as we're going to see in a moment, Felix wants to bribe, he wants Paul to give him money. As it says in, uh, where? Verse uh, 26. Verses 24 and 25 are, are amazingly powerful. Paul shares his faith. Let's read it again. It is, this is what Paul did. He did not bargain for his life with Felix. Some days later, verse 24, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess. And they sent for Paul and heard Paul speak about, note what? 
faith in Christ Jesus. He didn't plead for his life. He didn't plead to get out of jail. He came to Felix and Drusilla and he did what God called him to do. And he told them about a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 25. He was discussing with them righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. It's the three. These, this is the quinella, the three of the three. These three truths are something that a sinner has to deal with within their lives. Note, though, when he talked about, verse 25, righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened. Why? What made him scared? Why did he say, go away, Paul? I don't want to hear anymore. I'll call you back when I want to hear more. I don't know if any of you have ever done this, but you share with your friends and you tell them if they want to get deeply into it and you start telling them about heaven and hell and there's a judgment to come. I've had some of my friends said, wait, I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about your religion. I'll, 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 I'll talk to you more about it later. I've had people tell me that. They become frightened. Become frightened with what is the outcome of our lives. What we see here in verses 24 and 25 is Paul speaking to every single sinner's dilemma. It's the threefold truth. Truth concerning righteousness, self-control, and judgment. Let's take a look at them. Righteousness first. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Righteousness, while you're turning to Philippians, please listen. This is so important. Righteousness is the absolute standard that is demanded by God's holy nature to every human being on the face of this earth unless they don't want to go to heaven. Righteousness is everything to every person on the face of this earth. Here's the other thing that Paul is going to tell them as you're going to read with me in a moment. You and I, we have no righteousness on our own to stand before God. We have no righteousness We cannot stand before God. You and I can't reason to ourselves and say, you know, I think this thing called Christianity is good, very good. And and the people that believe it, believe it, fine. But I don't want to go that way. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to come to God my way. I'm going to live my life as as nice as I can. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to do good things to people in need. And I'm going to stand before God on my own. And what God is going to say to that person is, you have no right to stand before me. You have no righteousness of your own. In fact, he's going to tell them, your righteousness are like filthy rags. It's kind of what Cain did. Do you remember Cain and Abel? Abel brought an animal because they wanted to shed blood. Cain brought the fruit of the ground. And the Lord says, Cain, I I have no regard for what you brought me. It, It does us no good. It has nothing to do with the blood And Cain became angry. And you remember what Jesus said to him? Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, won't your countenance be lifted up? In other words, do what I've told you to do. If you do what I've told you to do, you're going to be all right. Bring blood. And so we have no righteousness of our own. Paul speaks in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9 where our righteousness may be found. It says it may be found in Him. That's where your righteousness and my righteousness is found. Not having a righteousness of our own, derived from the law, but righteousness that is through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of what? 
Faith, it's faith. It's always faith. It's always been faith. It will always be faith. It will never change. The whole program of how you and I are to come to God and receive righteousness is all on faith according to what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. He, He is your and my righteousness. We have none of our own. I want you to note another standard of righteousness that that it really fits in with Paul is going to talk about uh, self-control. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, please. This another standard of righteousness is Peter calls it holiness. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Peter sets a very high standard for righteousness or holiness. He says... But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Mark that little place there. Just be holy in all your behavior because that statement's going to take us back to self, to self, um, uh, what's the other one? Self-control. Watch. He says in verse 16, because it is written, you, you and me, we should be holy because God is holy. That's our standard. Our standard is to be holy like He is holy. So that takes us to the second truth. Paul must have said to Felix, Felix, you've got to be righteous. But your righteousness doesn't come by anything you've done. You've got to be holy, but you cannot be holy on yourself. You have to have self-control. You've got to self-control your life, Felix. And this made, this and the judgment made Felix very frightened because he knew, innately he knew, like everybody else on the face of this earth knows, they're not righteous, they're not holy, nor are they self-controlled. Self-controlled is your and my requirement or required response It is our responsibility to stop sinning and to bring ourselves into conformity with God's law, with God's standard of righteousness and holiness. Here's our dilemma, mankind's dilemma, everyone's dilemma. Without Jesus Christ, we are incapable of righteousness and holiness. Incapable. We are incapable of stopping our own sin Therefore, third, judgment's going to come. The inevitable result of a sinful, unrepented life is judgment. So Paul says to Felix and Drusilla, you've got to be righteous or you've got to control yourself, which you cannot do in and of yourself. Therefore, judgment is coming upon you, Felix and Drusilla. And judgment is will come to everyone who fails to control themselves to be holy and to take up the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. See, the Bible says to you and me that every person on the face of this good earth who was ever born has one thing in common. We all, all of us, all of us, regardless of how you've been born, where you've been born, and to whom you've been born, we all have one thing in common. That is, we are all sinners. There's not a one of us here who's not a sinner. The Bible says, for all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There's not anyone here that is righteous. No, not even one of us. 
And so, since we fall short, God's standard without faith is death. Remember, it says in Romans 3.23, All have sinned and all have what? Fallen short of the glory of God. Three chapters later, chapter 6 of Romans, same verse, verse 23. And the wages of this sin is what? It's not physical death. You're right. It is death. It's not physical death, though. It is, it is a death that is a separation from God. It is, it is that we are separated eternally from God. We, that is talking about an eternal death, not a physical death. But it goes on to say in that same verse, thank God for that verse, verse Romans 6.23, but the free gift of God is eternal life in His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul must have said to Felix, his wife, and anyone else that would listen, without Jesus Christ, Felix, you're doomed. You're doomed to judgment. To which Felix says, get out of here. I don't want to hear any more about this. It scares me. I don't know about you people, but before I came to Christ, there was one thing I knew for certain. It's my best quality, best trait I had. If I died, I knew I was going to hell. No chance. No chance for heaven. I knew that my lifestyle would take me straight to hell. And when I heard people talk about hell, it scared me to death. So I reasoned in my heart. No, my mind. And my heart. <laughs> I reasoned that there must not be a God. Because if there were, He wouldn't be that mean. wouldn't create a hell. I'm a pretty nice guy. So I don't believe there's either, heaven nor hell. I felt very comfortable with that, by the way. But I always get scared. Every once in a while, I get really scared. I remember one time we were on a plane ride. We were flying home, playing baseball. We were in the Dodger Electra plane. <laughs> and we were going through somewhere in the mid, mid part of this country, and there was a big storm, and this plane was jumping and bouncing all over the place. And I said, this plane's going down. I mean, I was waiting for a wing to fall off it. We were just in terrible weather. And I remember looking around and seeing, John, you're going to love this. I saw Sandy Koufax and I says, Sandy's not going to die. <laughs> He's too famous. We'll be all right. <laughs> I swear, that's what I thought. That kind of gave me some comfort as we went through the storm. Ooh, I scared to death, scared I was going to die. And knew if I did die and if there were a heaven and if there were a hell, I knew I was in trouble. I want you to note something amazing here. It's common to most people. In his fear, in verse 25, Felix sends Paul away. He says, go away for the present time. I, when I find time, I'll, I'll call you back. Uh, may I say to you that you and I ought never to let, let God's voice come into our hearts. Let God's opportunity pass us by without, by allowing our fears to stop us. I would venture a guess over the months that you've been here, God has spoken to you once or twice. And you've gotten frightened, thinking, I don't have the time to do that. I'm not smart enough to do this. Oh God, not right now. Come back another time. I think that's common to every one of us. I think I've done the same thing time and time in my life. Become frightened by the, the prospect of 
of making a step for God and moving out there in the unknown. But I want to say to you, the safest place that you and I can be is where God would call us to be. You don't need to be fearful. He will care for everything. He will bring things into order if we just wait upon Him. And so they become fearful and they say, Go away, Paul. And I say to you, don't listen to your fears. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. You know why now is so important? I'll tell you why. Nobody will guarantee, nobody can guarantee you tomorrow, let alone this afternoon. No, let alone your next breath. You cannot be guaranteed that you will live on to make a decision about God tomorrow. And so the Bible says clearly today, now, this is the time because this is the time that you have. This is the time that God has given you and me. No need to be fearful. Felix Felix and his wife said, Paul, leave. And their fears let that moment go by. I don't know what they might have been thinking. Perhaps they were thinking, man, we need to do this, but to do this is going to change my whole life. What 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 in the world did, did Felix want if we can find that out more than eternal life? That's what Paul was talking about. Faith in Jesus Christ. He was not mixing any words. He was giving it to him straight. So straight that Felix became frightened by what he said concerning judgment. So what did Felix want? Well, verse 26 might tell us. At the same time, Felix was hoping that money would be given to him by Paul. See, he was hoping that he could make some money off of keeping him in jails, getting a bribe from Paul so he would let Paul go free. You see, the center of every person's life, every one of us here, is is boiled around what is our desires? What do we want? What do you want more than salvation? What would it profit you or me if we gained this whole wide world and yet forfeited our souls? What do we want more than walking with Jesus Christ on a daily basis? What more do we want that we're afraid to give up what we have? What more is there than replacing our sin with His holiness and His righteousness that comes by faith? So what Felix decided to do is what most people decide to do, and that is carry upon their own shoulders their attempt to be righteous, self-controlled, And that judgment that's coming. It's going to come to every person's life. The Bible is clear on that. We can't get away from it. Judgment is coming to the righteous. And we already learned that the righteous come by faith in Christ. And the wicked. Which the Bible says will be cast into hell. Through all of this mock trial, you and I can plainly see Paul does not defend himself. He is simply trying to win these dear people to Christ. Any and every one he can. From the Sanhedrin to anyone he comes in contact with to the soldiers, the captain, the, the, uh, the commanders, to Felix, Drusilla, and as we're going to see, to Festus as well as Agrippa. No, to you and me. 
we learn in verse 27 that it says Felix kept Paul imprisoned. And I wrote down, I say to you, it was not Felix who kept Paul in jail. You know who it was? Our Lord. There was more for Paul to do. And the best place the Lord could keep him to write the things that he wrote and to do the things that he was going to do is put him and keep him right there in that jail. You and I are where we are right now for a reason. God has placed you and me here right now to do something magnificent. You know what I believe? Maybe you can help change my mind if this is if it needs to be. I don't believe for an instant that when Paul was writing those letters to the to the other uh, uh, churches, and when he was writing the things that he wrote while he was in jail, I don't think that he had a clue how many people he would meet or I mean, excuse me, reach. I think he just did it out of obedience. I'm saying to you, and 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 to me. I don't think we have a clue how many people we're going to reach for the cause of Christ if God so desires. What He wants from us is only that one thing. Obedience. He has given you a gift if you've come to know Him. He's given you a spiritual gift. And He wants you to run the race, run the course that He has given to you. I'm here to say as a testimony before God, once you know what race you're supposed to be running in, there is a liberty and a freedom in your life like never before. It, it, didn't, even, it didn't even make my heart beat to say to the guy with the Dodgers, I can't go, thank you so much. He did say something very nice. He said, well, since you can't go this weekend, I'll leave you a ticket some other time if you'd like to go. And I said, yeah, I'll go. I said to him, I said, is it okay if I have my son go though? He loves games more than I do. He said, sure. Praise the Lord. It didn't take me a second to think, where am I really supposed to be? It's here. I love you more than those Dodgers. I really do. I love you with all my heart. This is the joy of my life. It is the call. It is the race that God has given me to run. And I want to finish this course. It's a great privilege. It's the most freeing thing you'll ever have when you know that. What is your goal in life? You need to think about it. Let's dim the lights just a a minute. We're going to quit in two minutes, I promise. I want you to think. What's your goal? What is your purpose? What's your fear? What's scaring you from doing what God is? You know God's asking you to do. What's scaring you from doing it? Not enough time, not enough talent, not enough what? God will supply it. While those of you are contemplating, if there's some of you here this morning that you're not sure that you've ever made serious, you're asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart. You really can't pinpoint a time or a, a day. Not that that's so important, but for me it is. For me, knowing that on March the 12th, 1973, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. That's, that's important to me because when I mess up and I become the person I don't want to be, I remember that I was saved back there and I ought to start living like it. And today is May the 25th. The year is 2008. I know of no better day to come to know, trust, tr- know and trust in Jesus Christ. And so if you're not certain... 
that you really asked him into your heart, that you really, really have made this commitment to him. Mark this day down. Ask him into your heart. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. And ask him to make you into the type of person he's created you to be. For the rest of us, let's deal with this uh, fear. Let's find our course. Let's run with joy the course that God has laid before us. It is really exhilarating to believe that you're living for Him. Father God, thank You for this morning. I love these people. You know this, Father. I say this so that they might hear me. I love them with all my heart. And I pray Your blessings upon each one. I pray that no one would walk out of here without the assurance of their salvation. And I pray that the rest of us would walk away from here with a a keen desire to know what is our calling so that we might, by your grace, run the race that is set before us so that even though we might be imprisoned or whatever, like Paul, we would have that peace, not pleading for his life, but pleading for their eternity, pleading for the eternal lives of Felix and Drusilla and Festus and Agrippa and everyone else that will listen to him. May we understand what our life is all about. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, if you've accepted the Lord, this, let someone know, please. And uh, hopefully we can be of help to you in your faith. I love you all so much. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. See you next week. God bless. Have a great, great day. Love you.